All right, good morning, Emmaus. If you would, take your Bible and turn to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17 this morning. We are going to spend four weeks in Acts chapter 17. In fact, the final week will be Easter Sunday. So at the very end of the chapter, that will be our focus for Easter Sunday. But the next uh, four weeks, Acts chapter 17. And let me even prepare you now for the end of the service today. So after uh, the sermon, I want to be able to pray over you. And then we're going to stand and we're going to sing a final psalm today. Our focus this morning is prayer and praise. So it wouldn't be good to talk about prayer and praise and then not pray and praise at the end of the sermon. So we are going to have this time of studying God's word. I want to be able to pray over you, pray with you, and then we're going to sing that final song together. When that final song is finished, um, as you might be going into a Sunday school class after this, even if you want to stay here in the worship center for just a little while, I would ask you just to leave in a spirit of prayer, to think about, God, what am I calling out to you, asking you to do what only you can do? God, what am I praying about? What am I praising you for? I know you often do this in your Sunday school classes, but just continuing that spirit. So I want you to know at the end of the service, we're going to pray, seeking God's power and direction, and we're going to praise him for his goodness and the work that he's done in our lives. And so as we get started this morning, I want to put that in front of you. Acts chapter 17, let's read God's word together at this point. Verse 1, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom. And on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to rise, I mean to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus... Whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. May God bless the reading of his word. Now, I have something to share with you. Uh, I hope you'll be very proud of me and very impressed. But in the last few weeks, I have won multiple free stays at a Marriott hotel. Uh, Now, I haven't given them my information uh, over the phone, but I just want you to know I've won. I've come in third place for a free iPad twice over the last couple of weeks. I I haven't clicked the link to figure out exactly what happens when I get second place or first place. Um, I've been invited to join multiple car insurance uh, and car warranty companies over the last few weeks. I think they're very impressed by me and want to be be members of, of their group. Now, that's only borderline funny because there is righteous anger that rises up within us when we have friends and loved ones who get caught up in things like that and 
just praying for God's mercy and justice to be done. And so, you know, it's one thing to laugh about being invited to be a part of a Marriott stay or to win an iPad, but you see people taken advantage of by programs like that, and it just, it just makes you so righteously angry about those things. But it does make us think about this. What does it mean to be a part of a group? And what does it mean to be a part of a rewards program and, and have a membership? You know, on your keychain, you may have those little things that you scan at the uh, checkout, or you've got a card in your wallet, or an app on your phone, or those type of things. I'm a member of this group, I'm a member of this program, so there are rewards that come with it. What we want to be thinking about here this morning and over the next several weeks is what does it mean to be a member of a church? What is the Lord doing in bringing people together as part of a church family? Why does that matter? Because it's so tempting, and we live in a world where this is so tempting, that I would think about being a follower of Jesus, and I would think about that apart from being gathered together with the church. This is the famous idea of I love Jesus, but I don't love the church, or I want to be a follower of Jesus, but I don't want to be connected to the people of God. And we can admit that there is some hurt that's involved in that, some, some challenges that we face in church life. Absolutely there are challenges we face in church life. The key, though, is God, when you rescue us, when you save us, when you transform our lives, you gather us together to be part of a church family. What does that look like? Why does that matter? Why do we connect as part of a church? At Emmaus, we use three simple words to talk about being a part of a church. Up, in, out. And over the next three weeks, we're going to take Acts chapter 17, and we're going to divide Acts 17 into different parts and see up, in, out. Worship, discipleship, and mission. If, if you're watching from home, if you've been connecting with us online, or you're not a part of a church right now, you think about being a part of a church in here, gathered together, knowing it's not about the place, but the people, what are we called to do? We're called to worship we're called to grow in our faith, and we are called to share the good news of Jesus. This morning, we're going to focus on that up piece, that as the people of God, we are called to be people of prayer and people of praise. Acts 17, verse 1. When they had passed through, so, so they're on this journey to encourage churches, and, and the Lord is going to use them to start churches, Paul and Silas, as they're going along. When they had passed through Amphipolis, and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. Thessalonica is a capital city in this district of, of Macedonia. It's a key city. We know that because there was a synagogue of Jews. So it was an area that had enough people that a synagogue of Jews is gathered together. Let me show you a map if your eyesight is, is doing well this morning. Or just pretend that you're looking at the map on the screen if, it, if you're, it's hard to see. But there's a red arrow that points to Thessalonica. Paul has just come from Philippi to the east, and he's headed west on a very famous ancient road called the Via Ignatia. This is the I-40 of the ancient world, okay? When you see Via Ignatia, and in your Bible you see Philippians and Thessalonians, those places are located on I-40. So Paul has just been in Shawnee, and he's made his way through Choctaw and Midwest City, and he's come to the Oklahoma City metro area. He's come to Thessalonica. He's gathered in this larger area. And what's going to happen when he gets there? Verse 2, Paul went in as was his custom. Remember, 
Habits aren't bad, just bad habits are bad. <laughs> this was his custom. He gathered together with the, with the people of God. He gathers in the synagogue, as was his custom. And on three Sabbath days, doesn't mean he only spent three weeks in Thessalonica, but on these three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. So Paul, as was his custom, gathered together, and he reasons with the people there from the Scriptures. Two key things I want you to see there. What Paul is going to present to the people comes from the scriptures. He's not just sharing his opinion. He's not just sharing a new idea. He is making a case from the scriptures. So we don't want to miss that, that that's the foundation for who we are as a church. No one needs to gather together to hear somebody else's opinion. We, we want the foundation of who we are to be the scriptures, to be the word of God. And it says here that Paul reasoned. And, and man, what a good word this is. <laughs> If you take the sound of the Greek word and you just kind of pull it into English, it's where the word dialogue comes from. Uh, so this idea that you would present your argument in a reasoned way and be in dialogue with people about it, the opposite of that would obviously be how we think about arguing in our modern context, that whoever yells loudest and longest wins the argument. Uh, that's not good reasoning. That, that's not what we see Paul doing here as he's establishing churches. He is reasoning with them from the scriptures. How does he do that? Look at the next verse, verse three. He is explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ, the Messiah. Ah, such a good verse here. Uh, the word explaining is the word that is used in Luke chapter 24, our all-time famous chapter at, at Emmaus because of the Emmaus Road story in Luke 24. What happens there is Jesus explains from the scriptures that he is the one who was to come. He is the hope of Israel. And it's a word that means to open. So he's opening up the scriptures, and in the process, the Holy Spirit is opening up their eyes and their minds and their hearts to the truth of this. And so he's explaining, he's, he's opening up the, the cabinet before them, and the next word, proving, it, it's a word that means to put in front of, to serve up. So Paul is coming in here, and from the scriptures, he's opening up the scriptures and setting them before the people to show what? That it was necessary necessary is a loaded theology idea in the New Testament, meaning this was the plan of God, that Jesus' coming was not an accident or a plan B, that it was necessary for the Messiah, the one who would come to rescue God's people. What had to happen? He had to suffer, and then he had to rise from the dead. Now, this is where Paul's listeners would have started to jump ship with him. <laughs> this is where they would have started to argue back with him at this point. The fact that the Messiah would come not as a conquering military figure, not as one with great political power, but would come with, as one who is weak, would come who, as one who would give his life, who would suffer in order to find victory. And let's just be honest, as we think about church life in, in 2021, we still struggle with that. We still struggle with the fact that the Messiah, the one who comes, does not come with worldly power, does not come with conquering might. He comes as one who lays down his life as a servant. And that remains a tripping hazard for people as they come to understand what it means to follow Jesus. And, and this one who would come to suffer is also the one who would rise from the dead. Now the people Paul is talking to at this time 
they would not have had a problem with the idea of the resurrection. Almost all of them, unless there were Sadducees mixed within the group, but almost all of them would have believed in the resurrection, but in the sense of a completely future, end-of-all-time resurrection of the dead, a general resurrection. What they didn't expect or or didn't uh, count on was this resurrection breaking into the middle of history. And especially the fact that the Messiah, the one who would come to rescue Israel, would die and then rise from the dead. This is what's amazing about this. And Paul says them very clearly. He said, this Jesus that we've been talking about, this one whom I proclaim to you, he is the Christ. The one who you didn't expect and didn't even know that you needed, this is the one we're talking about. This is Jesus And friends, we cannot build a church on anything other than proclaiming Jesus. Who will we be as a church? How will the gospel spread? How will churches be strengthened and established when we proclaim Jesus? What we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. We exist to proclaim and display Jesus. The church is established here as Paul says, this Jesus we proclaim, this is the Christ. This is the one that you need. This is the one who will deal with all of your sin, with all of your pain, with all of your brokenness. Now the question is, when he lays that out, how do people respond? Look in verse four. And some of them, which is Luke's writing here, his nice way of saying not all of them, uh, maybe not even many of them, but, but and some of them were persuaded, so, so they came to believe this is true, and what happens immediately, they joined with them. So on the basis of their belief, they are joined with, they are gathered into the people of God here. They joined with Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. When God begins to establish the church, notice, not everyone is going to think that the good news is good news. Not everyone is going to be persuaded. And we cannot force or manipulate or talk anyone into being a follower of Jesus. That is a work of God in a person's life, that they are persuaded by the preaching of the gospel and the work of the Holy Spirit, and they're joined together with the people of God. And notice what a diverse group of people are involved in this, that you have some of the Jews, the Jews that were there in the synagogue. You have some people that were not a part of, of the Jewish ethnic people, but they were God-fears. They were those who came from a Gentile background, but they wanted to know more about the Lord. And not a few of the leading women The fact that Luke consistently goes out of his way to show how women are key in the establishment of the church and the early movement of Jesus in this area. When God builds a church, he brings together a group of people who are diverse, who come from all kinds of backgrounds, all kinds of perspectives, and we are gathered together, not because we all see things the same, but because we all are looking to Jesus. That that is what draws us together as a church. And you see this diversity in the church even from here in verse 4. Now, what's the opposite of this? Some were persuaded, which means what? Some, some were not. Some were not happy about this. Verse 5. But the Jews, probably speaking of the leading Jews, maybe the, the ones who had the most influence, the ones who didn't respond, they were jealous. And, and jealousy always drives people to, to do strange things. The Jews were jealous 
and taking some wicked men of the rabble. Now there's a good phrase for you. Uh, Some wicked men of the rabble. Uh, Rabble is a reference to low-life people who who lived in the marketplace uh, who, who were not considered high society. Let's just say it that way. That's probably the nicest way we can say it. These folks are considered to be low society. They're brought together, and so these Jewish leaders gather up these people from the marketplace, and they formed a mob, and they set the city in an uproar, and then they attack the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out of the crowd. Most likely, we don't know this 100%, but most likely these early believers are starting to gather together in Jason's house, that this is where the church is going to gather, this is where the church is going to begin to come together. And I think, I'm not 100% convinced, but I think in this verse, Luke is setting up a purposeful contrast between the chaos of those who are opposed to Jesus and the peace and stability of a church gathered in a home. Do you see the possibility there? You, you see this chaos of people who are brought together from the marketplace and those who are jealous about the work of God and they're causing an uproar in the city and there's this scene of chaos. And in contrast to that is the house of Jason where these early believers gathered together for prayer and praise and they gathered together in peace. And so you see this contrast being set up in, in this verse here. Look there in verse six. When they couldn't find Paul and Silas, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them. Remember, in this world and the world we live in, it's becoming not popular to be connected with the people of Jesus. There's a time, there may have been a time, supposedly there was a time, where it could be good for your personal interest and your well-being in society and your progress in the world to be connected to the people of Jesus, that ship has just about sailed. Um, And and we're going to be able to reconnect with the life of the New Testament here that when Jason gathers these people into his house, he doesn't get a promotion in the world. When, When he gathers the people of God into his house to praise and to pray and to be followers of Jesus, he invites trouble. Uh, into his life here, and they are turned against the things that are happening here. Ironically, those that are opposed to Jesus are causing an uproar, but they accuse the people of Jesus of turning the world upside down, which is one of those ironic statements. They're causing trouble, but it's actually something that the Lord is going to use for his purposes. Now look at the middle of verse 7 there. What are they saying? They're saying that they're all acting against the decrees of Caesar. So the Jesus people are acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. We're going to come back to this phrasing here in in just a moment, but what's going on here? Early in the first century, there was an edict, a rule that went out from the Roman Empire that made it illegal to predict the demise of whoever was in charge, whoever the emperor was of the Roman Empire, if you made a prediction that he was going to die or be replaced, well, you were going to die and be replaced in in the process. It was against the law to predict the downfall of whoever was leading at the time. You think of how different that is in the world in which, which we live, but it would have been against the rules. And so if they heard Paul and Silas proclaiming another king, That's how they could say that they were speaking against the decrees of Caesar. What happens here? 
Verse 8, the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. As we think about the establishment of the church here in Thessalonica and we see the connections to our own life, can I take you back to the end of verse 7 there? What's the dividing line for who will be a part of the people of God? Remember that language from the end of verse 7? They are saying that there is another king, Jesus. If you're watching at home, I hope this question is helpful. And if you're here in the room, the dividing line is who is king. The dividing line for your life and, and the line in the sand for who we will be as a church is our answer to the question, who is king? Who do we worship? Who has authority over our lives and over all things? Now, think about the ways you can answer that. Uh, for many people at the time, it would have been Caesar. It would have been the worldly political powers, the financial powers of the day, whoever held that supreme authority. And that's still possible today, that when challenges come, that people turn to some type of political or financial authority to be keen. I think that's crumbling just a little bit maybe in our, in our world, but there's still that temptation to turn to a worldly figure to, to, to do that for us. Another option, who's keen in your life, it could be just whoever's popular. <laughs> Whoever society or culture or whatever group draws, draws people together. Now, I think this is much more prominent in our world. Because when you live in a world that loses a sense of the transcendent, a sense of the divine, something has to come in and fill that place. And so you find people constantly running around trying to find a group to connect with, to provide identity and direction, and, and always looking for who is keen, who's in charge, who has the most influence right now in, in the world. That idea of influence is, is really big, especially on social media. Who's another option to be keen? Me. Not, not literally me over you, but like you saying me. Who, who's an option to be keen? There's always keen self. And, and which among us, who among us, has not been tempted to run their own life, to be keen of their own life? How does that normally go? Not particularly well, right? We, we try to be keen of our own life. We, we try to be in charge, and we figure out how quickly that comes to the end. What we would say very clearly and what we would want to say to all people, who is worthy to be keen? No one but Jesus. That he alone has life and life eternal. He alone can defeat sin. He alone has overcome death. He alone is worthy of your worship. He alone sets the direction for your life that Jesus is king. And if we put anything else on the throne of our life, we should not be surprised when God begins to shake that. When we put anyone other than Jesus on the throne of our life, we should not be surprised when God begins to shake things. Think about these verses from Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 26. Speaking of God's, God giving his word to Mount Sinai, at that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised Yet once more I will shake not only the earth but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made 
in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. God's going to get rid of the temporary to establish his kingdom. So listen to verse 28. Let us then be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. When we establish as individuals and as a church that Jesus is king, when we proclaim him and believe him and follow him and we make that declaration that he is king, what's the response? It's worship. Worship him with reverence and awe. Worship his power. Worship his majesty. Worship his grace. Worship his love. How do we do that? What are the signs that that is happening among a people? Prayer and praise. When Jesus is king, when Jesus is king of your life, and Jesus is king of a church, our eyes and heart will be focused up. We will look up and the direction of our life will always be toward prayer and praise. Do you know someone whose life is oriented up toward God? They are constantly living a life of prayer and praise. Do you know anybody like that? They're not not rude or distant or disconnected from real life. It's just that you get the feeling they're not living for the same things you're living for. You get the feeling that, that they're not consumed with the things of this world in the way that we're so often consumed with this world. Their heart and mind and focus is up. Their eyes are lifted up to Jesus as king. Every person has to answer a couple of questions. When things go wrong, where do I turn? When things in life go wrong, where do I turn? When something good comes into my life, whom do I think? Whether a person is religious or not religious, they're still involved in prayer and praise. Every person on the planet prays and every person on the planet praises. The question is, who? So, so when something difficult comes in my life, where do I turn? Who do I pray to? When something good happens in my life, who do I give praise to in that moment? Think about two phrases that we throw around in church all the time. I'll pray for you and praise the Lord. <laughs> so uh, church language, church phrases, I'll pray for you and praise the Lord. What is a sign that revival is happening in a church? What is a sign that they are looking up to Jesus as king? You know what the sign is? Those phrases are not cliches. They are at the core of who we are. That when we say, I will pray for you, and we say, praise the Lord, those phrases are coming from an overflow of a life that's been transformed by the grace of God and the power of Jesus. That that's what it looks like when that begins to happen. You say, well, what does that have to do with church membership? What does that have to do with being connected to a local church? We get so distracted. (laughs) And so quickly we put other kings in front of Jesus. and, And we get discouraged and overwhelmed and think, is this really worth it? What's going on here? And you know what God gives us in a local church? He gives us servant spiritual leaders who keep watch over our souls. Who pray for us. Who bug us who text us, 
who check on us, who call us back to Jesus as king. And you know what else God gives you in the church? He gives you friends who are there to comfort you and challenge you and remind you that only Jesus is worthy of being the king of your life. Who in your life is keeping watch over your soul? If you're connected to a local church, that there are leaders there who pray for you and keep watch over your soul, who say, we're not gonna let anyone other than Jesus drive who we are. Who in your life do you gather with for prayer and praise? When you commit to be a member at Emmaus, at any church really, you're committing to a life of prayer and praise under servant leaders who are keeping watch of your soul and alongside friends who want to pray with you and want to praise God together with you. And as we do that, God uses us to share the good news of Jesus because we want this to be a house of prayer for all nations. And we want our prayers to be driven towards seeing people come to know and follow Jesus. And we want our praise to cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. And we want our praise to drive us to be on mission in the world. And we do all of those things, why? Because Jesus is king and only he is worthy. And so when you think about being part of a church or if you're watching at home and you're not connected to a church, why do we need that connection? We need that connection because we need a king. And when that king is worthy, we will pray to him and we will praise him. And so as I think about and pray for Emmaus in the days ahead, what is our prayer? God, make us a people of prayer and make us a people of praise. How do we see the fire of revival move? How do we see the spirit doing a work in our lives when we are praying and we are praising? And so we're gonna do both of those right now together. I wanna be able to pray over you right now, maybe a little bit longer than we normally would, but just to be able to pray over you as a church that we would pray with our hearts united together. And then we would stand here in just a minute after our prayer, we'll stand and we'll sing a song of praise together. And then as you leave, you're leaving thinking, God, make me a person of prayer. Make me a person of praise. Let's pray together right now. Father, as we enter into this time of prayer, God, I think about friends who, who are at home uh, watching us online, wanting so badly to be here, but, but not able to right now. God, we think about people who are gathered in this room who love you and love one another. God, would you make us a people of prayer? God, would you remind us that we are not in control? We never were, we never will be, God. We, we don't wanna be in control of our lives. God, we trust you, and we want with all of our hearts to be devoted to you. God, I pray for people in our church family who are caring for loved ones. God, we have so many people in our church who are carrying this incredible weight of, of caring for family members and friends. And God, would you infuse their life with peace that passes all understanding. And God, as they care for their loved one, God, as they look into their face, as they care for them, that they would know that you are right there. God, as we care for the least of these, we are doing this to you. And God, would you transform their perspective on that? God, we pray for friends who are going through so much pain in their life right now, physical pain, financial pain, emotional pain. 
God, we call out to you on their behalf, God, asking that your presence would be there, that you would give them strength. God, we pray for a young girl in our church who's going to have a surgery that is, is so dangerous and so difficult, God, and we call out for her family, God, as they travel, as they're a part of this. God, we pray for a young mom in our church who is so sick. God, someone we love and cherish but is going through so much pain. God, we pray for her. God, bring healing in her life. God, I pray for parents and grandparents right now. God, that they would pray for their kids. God, that there are, there are kids who have gone far away from the Lord who, who maybe just don't care right now about the things of the Lord. God, I pray that in this moment, God, that you would draw them back. God, I pray for parents and grandparents that they would not give up in praying. They would not give up in loving. They would not give up in sharing the good news of Jesus. And God, in our church in the days ahead, God, would you, would you draw teenagers to yourself? God, would you transform generations? God, would you heal marriages? God, that if there are marriages this spring that are on the verge of falling apart, God, would you bring reconciliation and healing that is miraculous? God, doing that work by the power of the gospel. And God, we call out, we call out, God, for people's salvation, that we would see people turn from sin, turn from pain, and follow after Jesus in baptism, in obedience, in prayer, in praise, and God, I pray that if there are people here this morning who feel lonely, confused, buried under sin and life's difficulties, God, draw them to prayer this morning. Draw them to praise. Remind them that they can trust you. And so God, in this moment, as we prepare to sing, remind us that Jesus is king, that only he is worthy of our worship. And Father, we pray this together in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us right now? We're gonna sing a song of praise to God. If I can pray for you, I'll be down here at the front. I would love to do that as well. Let's praise him this morning.
King is alive and we can rest in him this morning. Have a great day. Would you go in peace, praying and praising to him?